Well, this morning, uh, we have a special treat. Uh, we have with us, uh, visiting to share God's Word with us, uh, the Reverend Jay Therrell. Uh, he is the President Pro Tempore of the Florida Conference of the Global Methodist Church. And so uh, he is uh, helping to lead and guide the Methodist Church here in Florida, and we're so excited that he's able to come and to share with us. So if you would, please help uh, me to invite and welcome uh, Jay Therrell. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, it is good to be with you. It's been a good morning of worship so far. We've had two really great services. The third one is uh, going just as well. Your choir was fantastic. Thank you all. That was beautiful. Thank you for, for helping lead us in worship. Let me give you just kind of a brief update on where the Global Methodist Church is in Florida at the moment. Uh, about, give or take, I need to do a, another recount. I have to do that tomorrow. But I think we're at around 110 churches or so in the Florida Conference of the Global Methodist Church. There are another 80 or so that will be disaffiliating on December 2nd. And so uh, we'll have the lion's share of those coming in as well, probably in the first quarter of next year. So I don't know exactly where we'll end up, probably 150 plus somewhere around there that will be coming in to join us. And we're, we're just really excited. It's a, it is a, a fun time to watch God work in our midst. Uh, this movement is growing quickly, which is neat to see. Uh, I shared with one of the other services that we often use the metaphor that we're building the plane as we, as we fly it. And it's kind of true. Uh, and it, it can be a lot of moving parts at times, but that's good. Uh, it's a good thing. And we're, we're enjoying seeing all that God is doing. And we are especially glad that Port Charlotte Global Methodist Church is a part of our church family. So thank you for, for being a part of it. So let's go to our scripture reading for today. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, uh, we're going to go to the very end of Matthew, Matthew 28. And we're going to go to the end of chapter 28, starting at verse 16. I'll kind of set the stage a little bit for you so you know where we're coming into the story. So as we, we're finishing up the story of Jesus, Easter has occurred. So Jesus has resurrected. It's 40 days after Easter. And Jesus is now about to ascend or disappear into heaven. And he has gathered all of his disciples around him, his family, his friends, very clear about what it is they're supposed to do as he gets ready to go and, and return to the Father. So here's how Matthew records that. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to the very end of the age. And so may God add his blessing to the reading and obeying and understanding of his holy word. Let's pray together about that, shall we? To sing in adoration to you, to, to offer our gifts, our tithes, our offerings, and to, to offer our prayers. And we give thanks that you have given us your son, who tells us that we can draw near to him and he will give us rest 
that he will teach us and instruct us. And so we pray that at this very moment, Jesus, you would do just that. That your Holy Spirit, that much better followers of you. Jesus, as I preach, I simply pray and ask that you would hide me behind your cross. That you would be the one that is seen and heard and not me. And there would be more of you and less of me. And we ask all of this, Jesus, in your holy and saving and magnificent name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, friends, if you have ever had the opportunity to travel in Spain, perhaps you've been to Seville. Beautiful building. It's not the original building that was on that particular space. If you know Spanish history, you know that Spain was Christianized, and then it was taken over by Muslims. And when the Muslims took over Spain, they knocked the church building that was original down, and they erected a mosque instead. Spain was then re-Christianized, and uh, the Christians began to worship inside that mosque. That's where they held worship services for a long time. But finally, in the 1400s, they decided that they wanted to knock that mosque down and erect a new structure, which is the one that you see today on the screen. They wanted it to be a building that was bringing glory to God, not only in its architecture, but also in its mission. They wanted this to be a church that would become a a mission-sending outpost that would equip people to go out into the known world to, to tell people about the saving good news of Jesus Christ. At the time it was built, it was the largest church building in the world. It's still the largest cathedral in Europe. It's the fourth largest church building in the world today. There's one that's larger in Brazil You probably could guess the largest is St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican City. Seats about 75,000, St. Peter's Basilica does. But uh, this is still the fourth largest church building in the world. Kings and queens of Spain are buried inside of it. Christopher Columbus is interred inside of it. And it took well over 125 years to be built. Construction started in 1401 and it was finished in 1528. But when the team of priests that came together to oversee at least the beginning of the construction, when they came together, they decided that they wanted to adopt a mantra that would guide the construction of this beautiful cathedral and hopefully guide it for the rest of its years as it was used in ministry to God. And this is the way the mantra went. Let us build a church so beautiful and so grand that those who see it finished will take us for mad. I want you to think about what that means. I love that idea. They said, they were saying, let us build a church that is just so beautiful and grand for God that the people who come after us would think we were plumb crazy to ever imagine building such a church. I love that idea. And as this church is turning the page into a new chapter of God's story, that's what I want for this church, for Port Charlotte Global Methodist Church, to to be a church that is so beautiful and grand for God that the people who come after you years down the road in Port Charlotte think those folks that came before us, they were just nuts because they dared to dream of a church 
that could be so beautiful and grand for God. And, and I don't mean a church that's grand and beautiful in size, not in architecture necessarily, not in social media presence or anything like that. I mean a church that is grand and beautiful for God's mission and His vision of sharing the saving good news of Jesus Christ. You know, this church knows a thing or two about that. You all have been through a a challenging season. You've been through disaffiliation, which is not easy any way you slice it. But yet you said that you wanted to stand on the orthodox word of God and you've done that. You've been through Hurricane Ian. You're still going through all the, the recovery from that even to this very day. And as you make these changes into this this new moment for this church, I want to lift up to you three hallmarks that I think a church that is grand and beautiful for Jesus' mission has. And so the first that I would lift up to you is I think a church that's grand and beautiful for Jesus' mission is one that's servant-hearted. It's servant-hearted. We are the body of Christ, Scripture tells us, the church. We're the body of Christ, which means we're supposed to embody who Jesus Christ was and is And he is the greatest servant leader of all time, which means we are called to be servant hearted. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the people who aren't yet members of it. We're called to be externally focused, not internally focused. And that, by the way, does not mean that we don't take care of each other. Of course we do. But we're supposed to be focused on the people who aren't yet here yet. If you go back just a few chapters from where we read a moment ago in Matthew 28, you can quickly get a a great example of how Jesus calls us to do that. So if you go back just to Matthew chapter, Jesus has gathered with his disciples. He's teaching them. And in my mind's eye, this is kind of how this particular story goes down. He's teaching them, of course, James and John. The disciples are there. They're brothers, the sons of thunder. And... Matthew tells us that James and John, their mom, shows up. I kind of imagine it going down this way. I have a mom. You have moms. I think you could also picture this too. She kind of pulls Jesus over to the side, and she whispers in his ear and says something like, Hey, Jesus, you see my two boys over there, James and John? They're good boys. Um, I want to ask you a favor, Jesus. Uh, Could can my two good boys, when you come into your kingdom, could they sit at your right and your left and have those two most important seats? And the only problem is, is that Matthew tells us that all the other disciples overhear her. She's about as subtle as a Mack truck. And so before Jesus knows what's going on, he has a full-fledged fight on his hands because all the disciples are now arguing over who is the greatest and who deserves to have those right and left seats when Jesus comes into his kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 20, we find out how Jesus settles the argument. Jesus said this, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Listen to what Jesus said next. He said, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And then he doubles down. He says, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, people should see us at work in the community or when we're out shopping or with our family or friends or in a restaurant or whatever it is that we're doing. When they encounter us, they ought to be able to tell that there's something different about us. And the thing that's different about us ought to be the fact that we care about others and put them first before we put ourselves because we're servant hearted and because we exist for the other person. You know, when I, I first became to, to understand that I was called to, to be a pastor, I was, I was an attorney. I was practicing law at the time. I was the lay leader at my local Methodist church. And one night, uh, it was the night after a huge disciple Bible study class. We had multiple disciple Bible studies going on. And I was just checking doorknobs with the pastor, making sure the campus was locked up tight. And I let it slip to him that I thought God was calling me to become a pastor. You don't know him. He's been retired for over 20 years. His name was Paul Dickinson, but he was locking a door. And the moment I shared that, he just dropped the key. It hit the ground and he spun around and he grabbed my shoulders hard. And it was one of those moments where it just felt like time kind of slowed down around me. And he said, Jay, why would anyone ever reach to be a king when they could stoop to be a servant and i knew at that moment one i would not be practicing law very much longer and i wasn't i didn't and two that the entire trajectory of the the ministry that god would do through me would have to be just have to be as well we have to exist for the people who aren't here yet you know, one of the heroes of, of the faith for me is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa once said this. She said, at the end of life, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we have received, how much money we have made, how many great things we have done. We will be judged by I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you took me in. And I would argue to you, friends, that's how our churches will be judged as well. And I would encourage you to ask yourselves as you're turning this page to a new chapter of, in the life of Port Charlotte Global Methodist Church. Is this a church that is servant hearted? Is this a church that is externally focused or is it internally focused? Does this church exist for the people who aren't here yet sitting in these seats? And if it does, how do you capitalize on that and make it even more a part of who you are as a, a body of Christ? And if it's not one of your strong suits, how do you begin to work on it and ask the Holy Spirit to help you in that way? Because a church that is grand and beautiful in Jesus' mission is one that's servant-hearted. So here's the second hallmark that I'd lift up to you. A, a church that's grand and beautiful for Jesus' mission is servant-hearted. But friends, it's also hope-filled. It's hope-filled. We worship Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world. And if we worship the hope of the world, we ought to be sharing that hope with as many people as we can. Let's be honest. We live in kind of a crazy world at the moment. The military has an acronym for it. They call it a VUCA world, V-U-C-A, 
which stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. I would say that describes 2023. How about you? I actually would say that probably describes the past decade. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And in that kind of world, friends, people are clamoring for hope. When you live in that kind of volatile, uncertain world, people all around us need some hope to cling to. And the good news is, is that we're in the hope business as a church because we know who that hope is. It's not a what or a thing. It's a who. It's the son of Jesus Christ, the living son of God. And we are called to share that hope with as many people as we can. You know, friends, I... I know that I know that I know that there are people at this very moment in Port Charlotte who are on their knees crying out to God in need of hope because their marriages are falling apart. They're dealing with hurts and habits and hang-ups. They're addicted. They're afraid they're going to lose their jobs. They've been diagnosed with an illness that is devastating. They've got more months than money. Their kids and grandkids are making decisions that they wish that they wouldn't, and they are on their knees and crying out to God, help. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying. I have hope for you. But it's those people at Port Charlotte Global Methodist Church. They're my hands and my feet. And they have the hope that you need. And I'm sending them to come and share that hope as much as I possibly can. Friends, we are called to share that hope. We have to remember in this kind of postmodern and post-Christian world where at times it feels like the church wants to circle the wagons because we, we live in this, this culture that can be hostile to churches at times. We have to remember what Billy Graham used to say. Billy Graham would say, I've read the whole Bible cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation. I know how the story ends. God wins. God wins. There is hope. And if God wins and there is hope, that means we have hope. As a church, do we act like it? You know, the Apostle Paul in Colossians in, in chapter 1, he, he said this. He said, God wanted to make the glorious riches of his secret plan known among the Gentiles, which is Christ living in you. He blew the secret at that point. Christ living in you, the hope of glory. You have the hope inside of you because you're a follower of Jesus. St. Augustine, who was one of the early church fathers, he once said this about hope. He said, hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Hope depends on anger over what could be but is not. So think righteous anger and on courage to make it different. You know what that tells us about hope? It tells us hope isn't passive. It tells us hope is the day in and day out, intentional sharing of the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, with a world that desperately needs to know it. And so I would ask you to think about Port Charlotte GMC and ask, is this a church that shares the hope of Jesus in every ministry that it has? And if so, how can you magnify that hope as much as possible through the power of the Holy Spirit? And if not, then how do you begin to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to make this a church that is so full of hope that it just oozes out everywhere you go? That is how you become grand and beautiful 
in Jesus' mission. And so then here's the third hallmark that I'd share with you this morning of a church that's grand and beautiful for Jesus' mission. It's, it's servant-hearted and it's hope-filled, but it's crystal clear as well about its purpose. And the purpose of the church is one thing and one thing only to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. We make something. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way before. Have you ever thought about the fact that the church has a product? Ford makes cars. Apple makes iPhones. The church makes disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what our product is. The input is unchurched people. The throughput is our discipleship process. The output are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who go out in a servant-hearted way and share the hope of the world with others. That's what we do. It's why I I made our scripture passage today, that passage from from Matthew chapter 28. Go back for a moment with me to, to hear what Jesus said to us. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything, not some things, everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And over the 2,000 years that the church has existed, we have come to kind of name that passage of Scripture. Some of you know what we call that passage of Scripture. We have come to call that passage of Scripture the Great Commission. We have not, over 2,000 years, come to call that passage of Scripture the Great Suggestion. It is the Great Commission. When you read that passage in the original Greek, it is very clear. It is an imperative that Jesus is using there. He says, go now, do it. And in the Greek, they have a tense that we don't have in English. It's not a go once and be done with it. It's a go now and keep going into the future. Don't stop going. Go. Jesus did not say as he was ascending into heaven, "Uh, y'all, when you get everything else done and all your chores are finished and the to-do list is checked off, would you maybe think about telling some people about me? He said, go! He did not say, when you finish binge-watching that series on Netflix, would would you think about sharing my hope with people who don't know it yet? He said, do it! And teach them everything. And he didn't say, and good luck with that, I'll see you later, bye. He said, I will be with you always. Not some days, always, to the very end of the age. You know, the founder of our Methodist movement, John Wesley, one of my heroes. I love John Wesley for many reasons. One of the reasons I love John Wesley most is because he was a gigantic nerd and I am a gigantic nerd as well I love being a gigantic nerd and uh, Wesley loved to make lists and one of the lists he made was a list of rules for his preachers there were 12 rules that he made number 11 has always been my favorite here's what Wesley's 11th rule for preachers was you have nothing to do but to save souls therefore spend And be spent in that work. And go not only to those that need you, 
but to those that need you most. Then he gets to meddling. He says, it is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society. Today we'd say church. But to save as many souls as you can to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance. We have to recover a zeal for evangelism. We have to be white, hot, passionate about it. It's why the Global Methodist Church added evangelism back into the mission statement that we would witness boldly for Jesus. If we truly love the people that we say we love in our spheres of influence, then why would we not want them to know about Jesus' saving grace? I would argue to you if we don't want, tell them about it, then we don't really love them. Because if we did, we'd want them to be with us forever. And ever. It is a both and sort of thing these days. It is both, as St. Francis used to say, uh, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. And it is also what Pastor Bill Hybels would say when he said, and sometimes you have to ask for the order. It's both. It's a both and. And also, as Wesley would say to his preachers, this was another one of his rules for them. He said that every message should do the following. One, to invite. Two, to convince. Three, to offer Christ. Four, to build up. And to do this in some measure in every sermon. Being grand and beautiful for Jesus' mission does not necessarily mean, friends, becoming a megachurch. It means being grand and beautiful because you care so much about the people in the city of Port Charlotte that you can't help but share the saving grace and transforming love of Jesus that you already know with them because you want them to know it. And so I want you to ask yourselves as you're turning this page into a new chapter of this church, is this a church that is white, hot, passionate for evangelism? And if it is, then how do you capitalize on that and just go and share as much as you can? And it looks different these days. It is not standing on a street corner handing out tracts anymore. It is evangelism in 2023 is relational. It is building relationships with people to the point that they begin to trust you and can have open and honest conversations with you and ask you questions about your faith. And then you can get to the place where you can invite them to church. But ask yourselves, is this a church that's white, hot, passionate for that? And if it's not, how do you make it that way? Because a church that is grand and beautiful for God's mission is one that's crystal clear about its purpose of disciple making. So let me finish with this. A true story uh, about a pastor who is coming into the Florida conference. His name is Max Wilkins. Uh, years ago, uh, 25 years ago, he was the associate pastor at at Cape Coral First Methodist Church, just down the road from you all. Uh, Max is the president of TMS Global. TMS Global is a mission-sending agency. They send missionaries all, all around the world, all over the place. And so part of Max's job as president is that he travels a lot, checking on their missionaries all over the world where they have them deployed. So before I share this story about Max going to visit one of his missionaries, I need to give you some backstory that will make zero sense to you right now, but it will make a whole lot more sense in just a moment. You need to know that in the 1960s that the Coca-Cola Corporation decided that it was going to get crystal clear about its purpose. 
And so in the 1960s, Coke decided that the purpose of Coca-Cola was to make sure that there was a bottle of Coke within arm's length of every single person on planet Earth. And it is still their purpose today. So that as we approach 8 billion people on Earth, it means all 8 billion of them, if they want one, they can get a Coke. Keep that in mind. So Max was traveling in Ghana on the continent of Africa. He was visiting a a small village in Ghana called Blasinga. Uh, Go home and look for Blasinga on a map. You will not find it. I've tried. I've gone on Google Earth. You will not find it. And if you've ever traveled to Africa, uh, you know that traveling is not always the easiest part of the journey. Uh, and so on this particular day, Max was uh, getting to Blasinga, and they went as far as the roads would take them, and then the road stopped. And so then from there, they had to walk on foot the rest of the way, which meant they were going through the, the bush in Africa. And it was hot. Max said, think August in Port Charlotte, hot. And he is cutting through the bush to get to Blasinga, and he said he was melting. He was on the verge of of heat stroke, of of heat exhaustion. They got to Blasinga. He is doubled over because he just is feeling faint. Blasinga has no electricity. It's that small. And the buildings that are there, he said, would charitably be called mud huts. And as he's kind of leaning against a post, just trying to keep himself propped up, his filters had dropped and he just didn't even realize what he was saying. And he said, oh, I wish I had a Coke. And the guide that was leading him to Blasinga overheard him and turned around and said, oh, you want a Coke? And there in Blasinga, Ghana, a village that is so small that it does not appear on any map, that is so small that it does not even have a road that goes to it, that you have to travel on foot through the bush to get there, that is so small that it has no electricity, and the buildings are charitably called mud huts, was a general store, and inside the general store, on a shelf, in the back, with dust so heavy that Max said he could write his initials in it, covered in cobwebs, was one unrefrigerated bottle of (laughs) Coca-Cola. Friends, if the purveyors of brown sugar water can do this, we can do this. We can do this, friends. We can make the name of Jesus known, sharing his saving hope and love and amazing grace with everyone on this planet. We can do this, but it will only happen if our churches decide that they want to be a grand and beautiful church for Jesus' mission, so much so that the people who come after you think you were absolutely stark raven mad for ever thinking about it. And it will only happen if we are servant-hearted, putting others before ourselves as Jesus taught us, being hope-filled and sharing the living hope of the world and being 
crystal clear about what our purpose is. Sharing and making disciples of Jesus Christ. We can do this, friends. Will you join me? Amen. And amen.